Good morning, listeners, and welcome to this week's Ag Report. I'm Jim Finn. My guests this week are TJ Marr, the chair of the IFA Animal Health Committee. I will have Joe Patton on from Chagas, and he's going to be talking about the upcoming National Dairy Conference for 2023. And my final guest this morning will be Rosemary McDonough, who is the IFA Farm Business Committee Chair. My first guest this morning is Connor Grace from Chagas, and Connor's with me to talk about nutrient plans for your fertilizer plans for uh, the coming year. Good morning, Connor, and thanks very much for joining us. Uh, morning, Jim. Um, thanks very much for, for taking the opportunity to have me on, as I say. Okay. Now, as I said there at the beginning, we're going to be talking about nutrient management plan. So I suppose the first question to you, Connor, is what is a nutrient management plan? Yeah, so uh, I'm a nutrient management plan, also kind of known as uh, NMP, which um, some of the advisors might um, call it as. It basically, it's what's needed to ensure fields are getting the correct nutrients to make sure soil fertility is sufficient to carry out, to carry the farm's stocking rate or support a profitable crop yield at the end of the day. Okay. And then why is it important to have a, a nutrient management plan in place on your farm? Um, it produces a fertilizer plan for your farm. It includes a lime program, where to apply slurry, farmyard manure, and what fields to specifically target your fertilizer based on um, soil test results. And I suppose with, with fertilizer prices at a record high last year, and then we can see potential limitations on supply going forward, it's now more important than ever to have a, a nutrient management in place for next spring to ensure the most efficient use of, of them organic manures that you are producing on your farm and then also balancing them with the with the chemical fertilizers. And like at the end of the day, we have to look at fertilizer purchase as an investment on a farm. I suppose like any investment, we don't make them without knowing what they will deliver. Right. And, and then what is needed for a nutrient management plan? So I suppose what we start off with is um, the soil, obviously, beneath our feet. So firstly, soil samples must be taken to establish the, the, the current soil fertility of, of the farm. And I suppose just a, a quick note on that for anyone there, soil samples should really only be taken three to six months after the last application of PRK, whether it's fertilizer or slurry. So really, from from now on, is the best time to be to be taking soil samples over maybe over the, the Christmas period. And I suppose just another point on that: um, the maximum area for a soil sample is five hectares. However, samples should be ideally um, taken to cover the different soil types and also the different cropping histories and field divisions that will give you the best kind of results. And I suppose. Another point on that is soil samples, they are valid um, for four years as well. So they are. Mm-hmm. But I suppose going forward on that, what else is needed? So if you're a grassland farmer, we'll also need um, stock numbers and the amount of meal fed for the year. And just another point on that, for every ton of meal that is fed on your farm, there's five kilos taken off their, their phosphorus uh, allowance. And I suppose for, for tillage farmers, what's needed is the previous crops grown for the year and also the, the crop yields as well. Connor, what does a farmer get for doing a nutrient management plan? 
Yes, um, from the soil tests, each field, their, their pH, their N, P and, and K requirements are determined. So, for example, um, colour-coded maps can be given to any farmer that has getting one drawn up, um, highlighting fields that would be low in P and, and K indexes. And also, these fields can then be, be targeted by the farmer for slurry application, allowing the balance, obviously, to be made with, with, with chemical fertiliser. Similarly enough, with the lime, the requirement based on, on your fields um, can be given out to the farmer as well with pH maps. Um, and also just on the lime, lime can increase the, the nutrient availability of the NP and K within those soils. And sometimes it can be known as, as the forgotten fertilizer on some farms. Um, I suppose lime on lower stock farms would actually have... Um, at least a force to one return on investment, which is, which is then more higher on intensive stock farms. So ideally for a grassland field, the, the pH that we're looking for is between 6.3 and 6.5. And also like this plan, it will spread the lime um, application across four years and allow you to spread the, the cost of, in, of investment as well. So I suppose then, just another way of getting return. I suppose some of us will have fields that need very little investment, and more of us will have fields that will need investment. I suppose, like from this year forward, um, we all know that spreading slurry in the field close to the yard isn't going to be the, the best use of this valuable organic fertilizer. So, like slurry used on lower index um, phosphorus and potassium fields, it estimates to be worth roughly around 53 euros per thousand gallons um, based on current fertilizer, which is roughly the equivalent um, a 50 kg bag of 6530, which is which is quite significant, so it is. Okay, what savings are there to be made now? That's the most important thing for the farmer, but... Yeah, I suppose um, the main thing is it will give you the confidence that you are, you're only applying the, the nutrients you need and only when they are needed. <laughs> and as a farmer... You will become more efficient, and and which will lead to a, a greater return in investment. And like a nutrient management plan will set out your your fertility um, plan for for your farm. And I know like some farmers they believe they're cutting back on fertilizer and lime. It may help the bottom line, but in reality, if soil nutrients are not replenished after grazing or after harvest, like soil fertility and production um, will reduce quickly. I suppose this will inevitably result in, in an increased purchase of alternative feeds, um, whether it's either grass or, or, um, or meal, which can be up to, to 10 times more, more expensive per unit of dry matter at the end of the day. Connor, what farmers currently have a nutrition management plan? Yes, I suppose these plans are, are mainly required um, to show compliance within regulation and as criteria for the participation in farm management schemes, such as the, the nitrate derogation application, and previously they were also used in um, in the old gloss scheme as well. And I suppose anyone really that had to export slurry there during the year or um, had to also have um, a nutrient management plan drawn up, and also the, the person that was um, taking in the slurry also had to have a nutrient management plan drawn up also just um, to, to make sure that they had enough allowance to, to, to take in that slurry. 
Who draws up this particular plan for the farmer? Is it your the is it Chagas or is it drawn up by you know a lot of farmers that will be listening to us this morning would have their own uh, agricultural consultant. Uh, so who does the drawing up? Yes, yeah, so it's mainly the, the agricultural advisor um, mm. draws up the, the nutrient management plan for you, whether you're um, private or whether with ourselves here in Chagas, um, your advisor can draw up this nutrient management plan for you. Right. And th- does it take up much time? Um, I suppose... About two hours would would, mm-hmm. would carry out the, the the full nutrient management plan, roughly so it would. Right. Okay. You're saying then that this should be done at uh, this time of the year. So you're planning basically. You're planning for what next year? Yeah, you're 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 planning. You're really planning ahead for right. next year. Um, obviously, you'd be getting your your soil results taken, yeah. our soil tests taken now, and you'd be you'd be planning for next year what fertilizers. Um, that you that you'll be looking to, to purchase and also the availability of the of the slurry on your farm to make the most efficient use of them. And Connor, at one stage you mentioned four years. Does the plan can the plan be made for four years? Yeah, because the soil samples are valid for, for four years. The nutrient management plan is valid um for four years, so it is. Yeah, that would make sense now and it would be a very economically cost effective uh, if you draw up the plan over the next couple of months and it's, it is in place for the next four years. Yeah, it, 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 is, a, it is a very worthwhile um, investment um, to carry out on your, on your farm, absolutely. Okay, one last question to you, Connor. What would your one piece of advice be to the farmers of Tipperary uh, based on what we have been speaking about this morning? Well, I suppose the biggest advice I could nearly give to any farmer would be to get them them soil samples um, taken. I suppose if you don't have soil samples taken on your farm in the last four years, my strong advice would be to get soil samples taken to roughly, if you span it out over the four years, to roughly only cost 60 cents an acre over, over the four years, which is very minimal for the return you're, you're going to get on it at the end of the day. And I suppose make contact with your advisor to, to get this plan drawn up. Okay, well, look at Connor. Thanks very much for joining us this morning. That listeners was Connor Grace from Chagas. Listeners, my next guest this morning is TJ Marr, and uh, TJ, as you know, is down there in South Tipperary. But more importantly, he is the national chair of the IFA's Animal Health Committee, and animal health is very much in. The news this particular week, uh, so it's good to be talking to TJ. Good morning, TJ. Good morning, Jim. Good to talk. Okay, there's a lot to talk about. So I don't know whether you want to start off with blue tongue or we, or you want to start off with the proposed, uh, I suppose, changes to the TB pro, uh, TB pro, er, eradication program. Well, I, I think I'll, we'll start with the most important one, first of all, which in my opinion is right now is the blue tongue. Right. Um, I think we're, we're obviously very, very concerned, uh, but, but two things are in our favour. Um, first of all, uh, the All-Ireland approach has kicked in, so uh, import of animals from the UK uh, has immediately ceased. Um, fortunately, that the case of blue tongue is in Kent, in the far southeast of uh, of England, 
and they have very strict 10-kilometer biosecurity regulations set up there where no animals are allowed moving or out of that. Um, this is a particularly uh, difficult strain mm-hmm. of blue tongue. Obviously, there's no vaccination for it, but this appears to be one uh, of the more difficult strains and certainly would be uh, unwelcome. Uh, thankfully, as well, uh, the mid-season is almost coming to its close and certainly well past its peak. Now, you will anticipate as uh, we enter into the third week of November, we should be well past it. Mm-hmm. I will say, when I was milking the cows this morning, uh, looking out over the cows and the haze and midges over the cows, mm-hmm. we're not past it yet. So it does pose concern. Blue tongue spread up to 20 kilometres a day with midge spread. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously you'd be concerned that it could move further in the UK. So I think we just have to be very, very vigilant. I'd absolutely encourage everyone uh, who's travelling through the UK uh, to be very careful uh, going to farms. And certainly we have to ensure that the Department uh, and the Northern Ireland authorities make sure that no animal enters in to the island from the UK until this threat is passed. Now, I know that uh, both departments of agriculture are working very close together and so are their veterinary uh, people as well. Uh, Trying to find out, did any animals in the last uh, couple of weeks that came into Ireland and they're trying to trace where they went and to any farm that they might have gone to. So uh, that's welcome as well, TJ. Yeah, and I think there is responsibility on every farmer uh, whoever minor, um, his, his, his interaction with imported animals was, uh, or any knowledge that they have uh, of an imported animal. Some people may think, so look, three weeks ago, I should, don't need to say anything. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's very important that all, all imports are, are disclosed um, and, and to ensure that this, we, can, we, we have many disadvantages as an island nation in exporting our produce. But the one advantage we have in disease, in disease control and management is that island nation status. And if we can secure those borders now and double-check that nothing gets in, uh, hopefully we will again ensure the blue tongue stays uh, in, in Europe and the UK and doesn't get across to us. OK, now there will be many housewives listening to us this morning and they'll probably say, well now, OK, why is all this happening? Uh, is Blue Tongue likely to uh, get into the food chain? Uh, I suppose we better reassure them that it has no impact on human uh, health. None whatsoever. It's an, it's an animal disease, no threat whatsoever uh, to human welfare. It doesn't transfer into humans. Uh, primarily disease of sheep but also in cattle uh, and absolutely no human risk whatsoever. It's about maintaining animal health and safety. This is the primary concern uh, and this is why uh, we, we are as careful of it as we are. The, the one thing we have learned in animal medicine over the last number of years is prevention is far better than cure. Uh, and on this, this, uh, this strain of blue tongue is very difficult to cure anyway so we certainly need to ensure uh, that we do our very, very best to keep it out. And everybody can be rest assured there's absolutely no concern for animal health. So enjoy enjoy your dinner. OK, now the other big news happens to be a recommendation to the department as to how they will uh, control or improve rather the eradication of t- tuberculosis. Uh, that could have a serious effect on uh, the movement of cattle uh, in Ireland, if it is implemented, 
Yeah, look, I think it, it's this little, it's a sense of frustration, unfortunately, we have to speak on this particular side of this debate. This is a discussion document that was presented to us at the forum uh, that was discussed. It was the, the presentations on the journal that don't have, unfortunately, a name attached to them. Mm-hmm. Um, our, our subsections taken out of a wider document indicating many of the controls and investments needed uh, to further enhance the management and elimination ultimately of TB from this country, um, ma- many of which we agreed with, uh, including improved wildlife control, uh, better better testing co- management and controls, uh, and inc- improved biosecurity for all farms. Uh, the, the most contentious piece of it uh, was the suggestion that sometime in the future there would be a consideration of specifically uh, looking at areas of particularly low levels of TB uh, and essentially setting up uh, perhaps a county uh, basis for trading uh, within that county. So, look, clearly this is not something that's practical. And this is something that has been developed in other parts of the country in the world. But unfortunately, the relevance is not particularly uh, matter of fact in Ireland on the basis that if you talk about a country like Chile, uh, the whole of Ireland fits into one of the provinces of Chile. So the concept of uh, having a county for the sake of argument of Mayo, which is a low level of TB at the present moment, as almost a self-controlled unit on its own, is impractical for many, many reasons, not to mention the fact that the vast majority of the cattle um, move move out of Mayo, and also the fact that the vast majority of them are lowly stocked uh, suckler farms, uh, with some exemptions. So there is minimal minimal uh, outward uh, chance of TB spreading anyway. So I think our view as an organisation, and to be fair of all organisations, that uh, this proposal um, certainly has no legs, and was was agreed that it wouldn't pr- proceed uh, on that uh, any further on that through that discussion process. Um, we meet monthly with the department on the implementation working group where uh, proposals are presented, discussed, and implementation agreed. And unfortunately, uh, an over-eager journalist unfortunately forgot to, uh, to remember that this was a discussion document rather than an official proposal presented to us. And, on, and sadly has led to much, much disconcertation uh, amongst many farmers about the prospects of their cattle trade being disrupted and nothing can be further from the truth. Right, you're quite right. There's a lot of anxiety out there about this uh, particular uh, article. But look at, uh, you and I, we have often spoken about, I suppose, wild animals being uh, the, the main uh, reason why we haven't been able to get uh, rid of tuberculosis uh, and I suppose that's still the situation, is it, TJ? Yeah, yes. The reality is in Ireland, uh, we have two major hosts of the disease mm-hmm. and a minor host in parts of the country, deer, particularly in Wicklow, mm-hmm. where there's a huge population of deer. Uh, the, the badger and, and the cow are the host, and it's two, two of them, they mix and spread from one to the other and, by, and, in, and in through the species. Mm-hmm. Now, as we all know, we continually test and remove uh, our infected animals. Um, unfortunately, it's not particularly possible to test every badger in the country and not to keep a head count at the number of badgers in the country for that matter either. 
So we do have to have a properly managed and controlled uh, wildlife program, which includes both vaccination and removal of infected badgers. And I often get frustrated when I hear people say, we, we can't be removing uh, these poor animals. The reality is many of, the, many of these animals are infected with TB. And there's one thing we know absolutely about the badger species. When a sick badger uh, with TB becomes infected, they're removed from their den and continue to go from den to den to spread the disease to other dens and other families. So it certainly is of no benefit to the species to, to leave a sick uh, TB animal in there. And that's something we always have to bear in mind. Um, throughout uh, the UK and Northern Ireland, where they are struggling uh, with TB as well, where they don't have uh, removal programs, they have and the north, in the north now up to 10% levels of TB in their herd. So we clearly have an indication of the importance of managing the wildlife. Our frustration with the department is that we have got extra funding allocated, and uh, I would not be satisfied yet uh, with the level of operations in, either in vaccination uh, or control programs that are still happening. Okay, well, look at for this week, we're going to have to leave it. I want to thank you ever so much for coming on and I suppose explaining that particular article on the journal this week uh, and so that uh, farmers will not be as anxious about it as uh, has been out there for the past couple of days. That listener was TJ Marr, who is the IFA's chair of the Animal Health Committee. Listeners, my next guest this morning is Joe Patton from Chagas and Joe is with me to talk about this year's National Dairy Conference which is taking place in Lyrath House in Kilkenny on the 29th of the month. So we're in to give you plenty of warning as to when it's coming up and given that here in Tipperary we have an awful lot of dairy farmers as we do have in our surrounding counties. So, And if they're listening to us this morning they're going to get a preview good morning joe and thanks for joining us what have you lined up for the 2023 conference yeah look at this this year as you know jim and you've been hearing it i'd say uh, from farmers all over the county and and through the year this has been a, a tough enough year for dairy farmers between costs and environmental changes and things like that it, it has put a lot of focus on on, on dairy farmers so I suppose our conference this year in in on the 29th is really to try and address some of those some of those issues head on. Um, we're trying to keep the program quite practical, Jim, because I think we want it to be a day for um, for dairy farmers. So the people that are in the business of um, milking and managing cows, we want we want to get them uh, there and get some good conversation with them. So look at the the main topics, I suppose. Um, Cost of production is obviously on people's minds. Um, we have uh, we have a good session on costs and, and the issues of cost control. We have a speaker from Australia joining us to give us a perspective on that from Australia, New Zealand, and and, and further afield. Uh, so that David Becker is, is that gentleman's name. So that would mm-hmm. be a good session. Um, we also have a session on on the, the challenges of labour. So the as we know, um, it can be quite a challenge to get to get labour and to get help on farms. So the cost of that and the issues around managing labour is another big issue that we will we will tackle in the morning session. And I suppose then just in the afternoon, you know, we are conscious that, you know, it's it's a day for conversation and a day a day for debate. So we're not going to have just um 
you know, a series of presentations. We want some workshops as well. So there's a series of workshops actually in the afternoon and they will cover issues like um, cell count and mastitis. They'll cover nitrogen fertilizer for next year, slurry management, um, grazing management. And an interesting topic as well, Jim, is, you know, we have some work going on in, in, in Chagas at the moment and on some farms actually too. It's milking 10 times a week, actually, believe it or not. So milking, uh, taking four evenings a week without milking. So that's a, a novel thing, I suppose. We have some farmers doing that and we want to have a discussion about that as well. So look, that's not for everybody. Um, it's not going to suit everyone, but for some farmers it will. So we want to have some good discussion on that too. So that's, there's a range of topics to be covered, I would say. Right. And it's going to be, then I gather from what you have said, Joe, that it's going to be much more chattier from the farmer's point of view than uh, what we would have had with uh, the dairy conference in the past where uh, you know you might there might be three or four questions to the panel and that's about it and you go on to the next so this one is going to be slightly different of course uh, the workshops in the afternoon will feed into that I, I absolutely and look at it's something that we're very conscious of we want that conversation to happen you know, we do have included on the panel and on the in the workshops we have some we have some very very good farmers included on the on the panels themselves and in, in those workshops to you know to give their perspective. I suppose we're always very conscious of that from a, a Chagas point of view that you know research is one thing and what can happen in places like Park and Solihead and places like that is one thing, but perhaps what happens on farm level it has to translate into that too. So that's what we want. We want to get that discussion between researchers and advisors and farmers and, you know, hear opinions on things because, as you know, the, there has been such a focus on, on dairy farming and the issues around us uh, over the last 18 months or two years that we want to give people a chance to get their voices heard on some of these issues as well, you know. So, look at the, through all the day, obviously, the, the, those issues that we've spoken about, like costs, etc., and, and some of the environmental challenges too, they have to be addressed in a practical way and a lot of our workshops you know around fertilizer and things like that they'll, they'll hit you know they'll hit both sides of the coin i would hope the, the practical stuff and how that can be beneficial from 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 a long-term sustainability point of view as well so conversation is the order of the day i would say jim right okay you started off by saying one of the uh, issues that's out there happens to be labour on dairy farms and yeah. that definitely is uh, a problem. But in your opinion, what's the root cause for it to be a problem? Because is it the fact that p- people don't want to work in this particular industry at that level? They might probably want to work at a much higher level. Or is it the fact that the actual return for labour is less than it would be in other industries? I think there's a com- there's really a combination of factors. I think, um, I suppose, one of the things we have to we have to recognise or acknowledge too is that dairy farming is not the only industry, obviously, that struggles with the, the challenge of labour. We hear that from, from hospitality. We hear it from construction as well. We hear it also from, from the education sector at the moment, Jim. So there's labour shortages and the issues around structuring and rewarding uh, good workers is an issue for, for, for all industries. But maybe on specifically for the dairy farming side of things, I suppose, look, at, there, there probably is a perception there around long hours and, you know, conditions on, on farms. And maybe one of the things we see a lot too is just 
weekend work and, and hours at weekends and that kind of stuff. That's where the a lot of the challenge is. So look we have some we have some farmers um speaking on the day um Brendan Joyce from, from Orlingford is speaking and John Whelan from Wexford as well and you know along with some with Marion Beecher our researcher that has looked at this across a lot of farms and I suppose we should we should make the point that there's like any industry I suppose there's good and bad and to, to be fair and some some farms have been you know have managed to turn themselves into excellent places to work and they've got good flexibility and good structure and people know their time off and they're finished early in the evening and all that kind of stuff that helps to be an attractive place so I suppose what we're trying to say is there's certainly issues out there it's not simple but there are things that people can do to improve their chances of, of attracting and retaining the type of workers and the type of you know the, the type of labor that they want um, and I suppose what we have to try and do is get people to to sort of implement some of those things it's not that's not a guarantee that you'll solve our labour problem, but there are certainly things we can do to help. And look at labour structure, good conditions, uh, you know, regular time off. That those types of issues seem to be the big things for for workers in all industries. And, and dairy farming is no different. So really, on the day, we want to try and lay out some of the, the benefits that some of our good, our good dairy farmers have done, uh, and and, sh- and share those with other people. And of course, what you mentioned later, then in. Uh, with, and these few words that we're having, uh, Joe, is that, of course, you know, only milking 10 times in the, the week, that definitely does help the labour side of it as well. It does. Now, look, I suppose with, with all of these things, Jim, like there's, we also do need, uh, we need good practice and we also need to look at some novel things as well. So for any, any conference, it's good to have mm-hmm. something that's, um, that's different and that's new. I suppose if we went back a few years ago and we said that, we, did anyone that was saying that they were going to maybe uh, milk 10 times a week instead of 14 times a week, it would be seen as a, a very odd thing to say, I suppose. But we do have some farmers actually practicing this, um, really not so much in the early part of the lactation, Nation, but yeah. certainly in, in, in the, in, from July, August onwards, I suppose. So that's really um, evening milkings at the weekend essentially being eliminated and maybe a couple of evening milkings in the week as well. As I say, look, at that's, I can, I can understand why any listeners might think that's pie in the sky or sounds sounds a bit a bit too much, mm-hmm. but I think it's worth coming along to hear what there's good experience. We've Aidan Heron actually from County Waterford's uh, next door has been has been doing this for a, a couple of seasons now, and Aidan has a very good story to tell about it, and he's running a very profitable system and a very high performing herd. So, you know, listening to what the farmer experience on something like that is. Uh, is, is is very important as well. Look, at it's it's we're, as I say, we're not saying this is for everybody, but it's something new, and I think it's it's worth listening to because it might be something very very beneficial for people, particularly in the second half of the year. You know. Okay, one last question to you then, with regard to the conference. You know, the, you mentioned the environment and the environment and everything around it is very very uh, much. Uh, a big topic and has been for a number of years now and it's not getting any better. Talking about dairy and, and I suppose the one big concerns that we all have in the dairy business at the moment and that is water quality. I'm quite sure that will feature. For sure. Yeah, we have actually, there's a number of sessions there on issues that are directly related to, to water quality. So for example, Pat Tuhi and, and William Burchill, William from, from UCC, 
they have a very strong session on like the big one of the big issues around water quality obviously jim is mm-hmm. is slurry storage and slurry handling and the, the capacity to on farms to store nutrients and use them at the best the best time of the year so so pat had some new work on that and william burchill on on um slurry treatments and slurry additives so that's that's a, that's a direct question around water quality we also have uh, a good session from David Wall in Johnstown from our environmental division, along with Mike Egan. He's going to present on, or going to discuss really, you know, getting best use out of fertilizer nitrogen for, for next year, the type of nitrogen used and the, the timing of it. Those are very key issues around um, helping farmers to improve their nitrogen efficiency and reduce the risks to, to, to water quality. So. From a, from a nutrient point of view, the fertilizer story and the, the slurry handling story, both of those will be will be will be handled on the day. And look at those; we would see those as a win-win for farmers, uh-huh. really. Uh-huh. That it's not a it's not a it's it's something that we can do that can improve their efficiency, improve their margins, and help protect water quality as well. And that's what we need to be looking at: is stuff that can be beneficial all around. I think. Okay, will you give the details of the conference, the time it starts off at, etc.? Yeah, so look at it, it's on the, as I say, it's on the 29th, uh, 29th November. Um, we will be reg- taking in, reg- starting the, 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 I suppose, the intake and registration from about a quarter past nine, Jim. Yeah. Uh, the Minister, the minister, for, minister McConnell, so the Minister for Agriculture, opens the conference and his his opening address will, will commence at about a quarter to ten, so about 9.45, so... We would be saying for people to to try and be there for sort of quarter past half nine. It's a it's a, a short hop across from most most parts of Tipperary. I would say across to to, to Kilkenny, and we we'd be getting kicked off from about a quarter sort of from about a quarter to ten as the first address, and then we'll run through and um, we'll run through it till about four o'clock, and we'll 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 give you the dinner in the middle of the day as well, Jim. So that's that that's good too. So look at the details of it are on the, the Chagas website for so the, the dairy conference you can book in there and if if you're if you want there, and there's any issue around that or any any questions or queries you can always contact your, your local Chagas office in 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 uh, Clonmel or Torres or Nina as well so they, they'll help out too okay okay thanks very much Joe for joining us this morning that listeners was that listeners was Joe Patton from Chagas listeners my final guest this morning is Rosemary McDonough and Rosemary is the National Chair of the IFA's Farm Business Committee and uh, during the week uh, they issued a circular to all their members with regard to protecting themselves particularly at this time of the year and uh, Rosemary is going to uh, tell me a little bit about that and other issues regarding uh, farm business. Good morning Rosemary and thanks very much for joining us. Uh, thanks very much, Jim. Good morning to everybody. Thanks very much for having me. And yes, um, so I suppose it's um, a time of year where um, there's a lot of bills due at this time. And we've had many members bringing it to our attention that with the um, much higher costs of feed and fertilizer and, you know, fuel, diesel, energy, all the input costs, and the, the tax bills that would be due at the moment, the preliminary tax. Then we've had um, delayed payments from the Department of Agriculture. The ANC payment fair in September was a month late, and some of the single farm payments are um, two weeks late. 
Um, and even at that, they've been divided up. Um, you know, they're coming in maybe three installments into farmers' bank accounts. So with all of that in mind, there is a lot of pressure on cash flow. And it's coming to our attention, I suppose, that even maybe even more so in this coming spring, there would be huge pressures on cash flows. So what we'd be saying to um, all, our, all our members and to farmers that they need to assess the situation. Um, if they can at all, they need to um, seek advice and help as early as possible. That if there is any danger that they could be coming under financial pressure, that they need to try and, I suppose, you know, highlight that at the moment and try and put some measures in place where they can try and mitigate that financial um, you know, pressure that might come in the spring. So I suppose they need to look at their cash flows, they need to look at their, their bank balance, they need to look at the ins and outs, what bills they still have to pay, what's coming in. And we are in constant discussions with the banks and with the credit unions in relation to, you know, farm finance and all the good advice that's out there that can be got from, from the banks or from the credit unions. So what they are saying to us is that um, any they have loans, they have certain products that might be suitable for the farmers, and they're also in a position to be able to, with a lend or refinance on um, capital expenditure items that might have been investments that might have been done on farms over the last year or two years, and they might be able to look back at those and be able to um, refinance them or, you know, finance them with a loan that the um, farmer would be able to pay off over the, you know, next six months or a year or whatever time frame they would decide on. And that would actually put a bit of cash flow back into the, the farm account. That is if those capital investments had been made out, made out of cash flow in the first place. So even though when it comes to the, um, we've had a lot of sectors that have had, you know, the hard weather has been yeah. very hard on them. The, you have the tillage sector, that um, there's, there's many tillage farmers under a lot of pressure trying to get the tillage crop. Uh, the weather has, and all the rain has affected it severely. We have horticulture and we have potatoes particularly um, having major mm -hmm. difficulties as well at this time trying to get the potatoes out of the ground. So I suppose, that, you know, there's two elements to that. There's major pressures from a financial point of view, but there's also major pressures, you know, from a health and um, to be able to keep going and keep the head up and, mm. and keep the job done. You're also going to warn farmers against uh, the various scams that are out there. It's very easy to click a button on your smartphone and mm -hmm. uh, find that you have landed yourself in trouble. So again, that, well, that's something that is always prevalent at this particular time of the year, whether it is we're off guard or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there, everything that you've said there. And I would be um, a huge advocate of trying to promote people to um, think twice, to send back, to read be it the text message, the email, whatever kind of a message that they have got, you know, to, to send back, to look at it, to think twice, to slow down. Um, because a lot of those messages can come in the evening, they could come on a Friday evening. Now, I know they can come at any time of the day or night, but there, there's usually a rush and a hurry to them that you have to do something quickly or something else won't happen. So in there, like if, if you think it's too good to be true, it definitely is too good to be true. And, you know, don't click on the link. Double check. Um, 
you know, a friends or family or whoever might have sent it, or the bank, mm. um, that there are many scams. And they've got so, you know, much more um, advanced that, um, <laughs> and I know I spoke about it before, that even from the point of view of emails and your bank details and your BIC and your IBAN details, or if you're making transfers, um, mm-hmm. online transfers, that um, you need to be very, very careful of the BIC and the IBAN details that you're making the transfer to. So, you, you know, you might be doing a transfer to a, a, a supplier, to your co-op, to um, somebody that you're paying a bill for. Um, and maybe even you've paid them before. Um, mm. But just to make sure that, you know, you don't get one of those emails saying that details have changed because they they haven't, but somebody has just intercepted. I think it has got to the stage where even emails can be intercepted at this stage. So just be extremely careful of, Clicking on links, do not click on the link. And then when it comes to, um, you know, making bank transfers or bank payments, just be extremely careful of the bank details you're using. And then of your own, uh, and I bank details, um, just be extremely careful on, you know, passwords and pass protection that, um, you know, you avoid a scam at all costs. Right. Well, all I can say to you, Rosemary, is this that the post office uh, in my local town must be full up of parcels for me that uh, I have got notice for that there's a parcel from on post. And I'm quite sure if I was to count all those, I would be filling up a room in the sorting office. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely. They seem to be a number one. Um, And some of those, was it the tolls? There was an issue there as well. Mm -hmm. there. But on one point there that I'd like to bring to um, maybe the the attention of your listeners and to the whole catchment area would be on the, um, the IFA elections that are on mm-hmm. at the moment, the presidential and the deputy president elections. We have um, two candidates going for each one of the positions. We have it was Martin Stapleton from Limerick on, on the presidency on one side, and we have Francie Gorman from Leash, and then on the deputies, we have um, Alice Doyle from Wexford and um, Pat Murphy from Galway. So I would like to encourage your listeners to please um, use their vote, go out and vote, um, go to their branch AGM with their vote and cast their vote. It's a great opportunity to have a say in the election. And if they're not in a position to actually go to their branch um, AGM meeting to cast their vote, we also this time this year have a, um, a new system where we have a postal vote. There's like a hybrid system. Mm-hmm. So for each member, your vote has been posted to you. You will have received it in the, in the post. In that uh, correspondence from IFA, your um, vote is, is there to be cast. Can you please fill it out? Pick somebody of your choice. Make sure to put it in the return envelope, which is stamped addressed, and put it in, in the post box and post it, or bring it back to your branch um, to vote. So can I, I just want to please encourage everybody, as many as possible, the members that have got their votes, to use your vote and go cast your vote, please. Isn't it quite true that if a member doesn't use their vote, there's no point in them giving out about what the president or the deputy president is going to be doing in the next four years? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. There's correspondence um, and there's um, all the details on the different candidates what their um, priorities are going to be for IFA and um, the uh, information has been in the papers, it's been in the, you know, all of the, all of mm. the papers, it's been online, they have their websites, 
Um, all of that information is out there. So for people, the members who can go, if you have uh, gone to the debate, the hustings that we have, there was one in every county around the country, there through the month of October and into November, there was about five weeks of mm-hmm. IFA debating going on in every county. So that was um, very successful for IFA and for all of the candidates that are um, have put themselves forward. And that's another point, I suppose, and is, um, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's brilliant for those that those candidates have put themselves forward for IFA. It's a huge amount of time and effort and energy that they have given to IFA to go forward. Um, so you'd have to say congratulations and well done to them. And, you know, whoever is the successful candidate. But definitely going back to the member and the vote, that it's one way of having your say in, mm-hmm. we'll say, um, how IFA is going to be, you know, moulded and the priorities it's going to have for the next four years. Okay, well, look at Rosemary. I want to thank you ever so much for joining us this morning. And before I sign off this morning, just to remind uh, IFA members, will you please go to your branch meetings? Will you please cast your vote? Because, as I said there earlier, if you don't cast your vote, there's absolutely no point in you grumbling about what's happening in IFA for the next four years. That, listeners, is Agriport for this week. I hope you enjoyed the show and that you'll join me at the same time next week. Coming up next is the news, 10 o'clock, and after that, Eamon Dwyer presents Down Your Way.